Disrupting Japan, Episode 63. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening. Once again, I've got a special show for you today. There will be no guests, no beer, no playful banter with someone speaking English as a second language. Today, it's just you and me. For the next 20 minutes, I'll be whispering in your ear about something I consider very important, but that not enough people are talking about. But before we do that, let's hear from our sponsor. I want to tell you about Justa. Now, I've known these guys for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they're priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Now, Airbnb has a serious problem in Japan. They may or may not have recognized it yet. But there's been something massing behind the scenes, getting stronger and stronger. And it's something that will become very visible over the next 18 months. Now, to the casual observer, and let's face it, most journalists and bloggers are casual observers. To the casual observer, it seems ridiculous to even claim that Airbnb has a problem in Japan. In fact, If you rely on what's written in the English language press, any rational person would conclude that Airbnb is crushing it in Japan. Let's look at the facts. Japan is Airbnb's second and fastest growing market. In fact, listings are up over 500% from last year. Furthermore, Airbnb is way out in front of their local competition. They have far more listings. And using publicly available data, it looks like Airbnb's Japan site is getting more than 15 times more traffic than the most popular local competitor. In fact, I've had several different investors speculate that the Japanese companies providing cleaning services for Airbnb hosts are probably making more money than the Japanese companies competing with Airbnb. And yet, Airbnb is dancing through a minefield in Japan. Whether they are doing it blindfolded or with their eyes wide open, well, that's anyone's guess. But if you read Japanese and you care about such things, you can see that there are powerful forces lining up against Airbnb in Japan. And next year, we're going to see the start of a real public backlash here. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is not unique to Japan. Airbnb is fighting this backlash all over the world. I mean, New York and Berlin just passed strong anti Airbnb legislation, and Airbnb's lawyers are suing and pushing back hard. San Francisco recently added new restrictions to Airbnb rentals, and Airbnb is suing the city, of course. Airbnb is used to handling that kind of backlash and legal challenges. They're good at it. It's in their DNA. Nah. What is happening in Japan 
is different. It's quieter. It's more secret. And in some ways, it's far more dangerous than the challenges they faced in other markets. But I'm getting a bit ahead of my story here. We'll get to all of that. First, let me set the stage and explain what is actually playing out on the ground here in Japan. So let's walk through what is happening around Airbnb in Japan and the drama that will be unfolding, whether they want it to or not, over the next 18 months. We'll talk about what Airbnb has going for them in Japan, and then we'll take a look at that strange coalition of powers that are quietly aligning against them. And finally, we'll take a look at what Airbnb can do to counteract it and examine the three most likely ways this story will play out over the next few years. Okay, to be sure, Airbnb actually has a lot of things going right for them here in Japan. Most important of all, Japan needs Airbnb, or something very much like them, to handle the inbound tourist traffic that will be coming to Japan over the next few years. Last year, a record 19.7 million foreign tourists came to Japan. Now that's up 47% from the previous year. And quite frankly, Tokyo's existing hotel infrastructure simply can't handle that load. Both occupancy rates and the cost of a stay are extremely high right now. But that's not all. The Japan National Tourism Organization, or JNTO, has announced their goal is to double that number to 40 million by the 2020 Olympics, and then to triple that number to 60 million by 2030. The JNTO even went as far as announcing that revising the Mimpaku laws, those that regulate private accommodations, is a major part of these initiatives. Of course, the JNTO is not actually in charge of the Mimpaku regulations. That would be the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare, which oversees the whole hospitality sector. So don't expect these changes to come quickly or smoothly. But in fact, we have already seen some loosening of the Mimpaku laws in parts of Tokyo. And overall, this is a very positive sign for Airbnb and for room sharing in Japan in general. Another thing Airbnb is going for it in Japan, and this is possibly even more important in the long run, is that the team in Japan is handling the market here with a much softer touch than they use in other markets, or that was used by fellow sharing economy unicorn Uber here in Japan. If you missed our podcast a few months ago on the real reason Uber is failing in Japan, you'll want to go back and give it a listen. It's a pretty good one, and it'll give you a lot of background info for what we're talking about right now. So Airbnb has not filed lawsuits in Japan, and they have been saying that they really do want to obey all the applicable laws and work with rather than fight the Japanese regulators. The Airbnb team in Japan has also reached out and set up projects with local governments. Earlier this year, for example, earlier this year, for example, they ran a joint tourism promotion with the city of Kamaishi in Iwate Prefecture. Airbnb seems far more aware of the importance of winning the hearts and minds than many foreign companies coming into the market. Now, that's all great news for Airbnb in Japan. 
and much of that information you can find in the English language press. But now, let's take a hard look at some of the pressures building up against Airbnb in Japan and why we're going to start to see a backlash against them in the next 12 months. Listeners who follow Airbnb closely might recognize some of these as problems Airbnb has faced and largely beaten elsewhere in the world. But there's a dangerous undercurrent that is unique to Japan, and we'll get to that. First, estimates are that about 90% of the Airbnb listings here in Japan today are illegal. And by illegal, I don't mean in violation of the tenant's contract not to sublease the apartment. I mean about 90% of these listings are in violation of Japanese statute. For comparison, New York authorities claim that about 50% of Airbnb listings are illegal. Airbnb's response to this in Japan is much the same as it is everywhere else in the world. Airbnb insists they are just a technology platform and that they require all hosts to abide by all local laws. They insist that they are shocked, shocked to find illegal rentals going on in here. They then vow to do everything that the local law absolutely forces them to do in order to help resolve the matter. <laughs> now, it, it's obvious that no one believes that. It's a defensible position in court, and such fictions do well in highly litigious societies like the United States, where the question of whether Airbnb is legal is the most important one to answer. In Japan, however, the law is a much fuzzier thing, and intent often counts just as much as the actual actions. And that can be good or bad, depending on who you are. Over the past year in Japan, neighborhood associations and landlords have been increasingly vocal in their opposition to Airbnb. Well, no kidding, I hear you say. Building managers and neighbors all over the world vocally oppose Airbnb. Local regulators around the globe are passing regulations designed to change Airbnb's behavior. So what? Airbnb eats these people for lunch. This is nothing for Airbnb to worry about. That's absolutely true. And it's certainly possible that Airbnb will be able to stonewall until Japan comes around to their way of thinking. It's possible, but not likely. On the surface, it seems that there is nothing unusual going on here in Japan. But digging below reveals three trends that indicate that a large, visible Airbnb backlash is coming. First, building management companies are being very aggressive about evicting tenants for being Airbnb hosts. In my apartment building alone, I know of five such evictions. These people were all evicted within six weeks of hosting and lost their security deposits. I've heard that other managers have been demanding to see rental contracts and even confiscating keys from Airbnb renters, telling them that they are trespassing, threatening to call the police, and then telling them that they simply need to find somewhere else to stay. Now, I don't have any real stats on this. It's all anecdotal evidence. If you're from New York or Paris, you might not even find that behavior particularly surprising. But listeners who know Japan 
know that this level of confrontation and aggression is exceptionally rare here, and it indicates just how much anger is building up beneath the surface. Tenants' rights in Japan are ridiculously strong. It can take six months to evict a tenant that refuses to pay rent, and evictions for what could even plausibly be considered misunderstandings are, well, unheard of. I have yet to hear of an Airbnb eviction being contested by the tenant, but two different management companies I've spoken with said that although they had not yet gone to court to evict an Airbnb host, both were confident the courts would side with them and order the tenant evicted. They were both confident that the judge would be very troubled and concerned by the so-called danger the host put their neighbors in, and also understand the urgency in putting a stop to it immediately. If any listeners know of an Airbnb eviction case that has been settled in court in Japan, please let me know. I'd love to have hard data on this. Now, of course, the hosts are not really putting the neighbors in any danger, but this is a very Japanese reaction to this kind of a situation. Many things here that are new and unknown, particularly those that cause meiwaku, or inconvenience, to others, tend to be described and discussed as dangerous, even when no one can articulate a specific danger. Still, the perception that Airbnb is dangerous is very real, and the management companies are not so much perceived as fighting Airbnb as they are protecting the other tenants and neighbors from Airbnb. Second, Tokyo's new and very popular governor, Yuriko Koike, has mentioned the Minpaku laws several times and has said she plans on seeing that these laws are enforced. Yes, local politicians the world over are talking tough about Airbnb, but there's something a bit different happening here in Japan. Governor Koike is a bit of a populist. Her campaign and her administration so far has focused on fighting corruption, increasing transparency, and standing up for the little guy. And she wants the little guy to know that she will protect them from Airbnb. Another striking difference in Japan is that around the world, Airbnb has been very good at grassroots organizing. When legislation is up for a vote or when public hearings are opened, Airbnb makes sure that there is a groundswell of support from their hosts. Airbnb hosts show up en masse and pressure lawmakers and regulators to change things in Airbnb's favor. In Japan, it's been crickets. Most hosts prefer to remain anonymous, and most articles about Airbnb here include at least one example of an ex-Airbnb host who shut down their rental as soon as the authorities showed up to inform them that they were breaking the law. As the new Mimpaku laws are clarified, we might see more of this. If the government ever decides to directly crack down on the hosts, public sentiment will be with the government and against the hosts. You see, Airbnb hosts are not seen as just regular folks trying to make a little extra money, but as selfish people who are putting their neighbors in danger. The third problem Airbnb faces in Japan, and you know, this on its own is much more significant than the other two problems, but it also makes those problems much more severe. Airbnb's biggest problem in Japan 
is that it is not seen as something Japanese people use. It's viewed as something for foreigners. I don't mean that it's seen as a foreign company. That's not a big deal in Japan anymore. Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and many others are seen as foreign brands, but are widely popular in Japan. No, Airbnb's biggest problem in Japan is that Airbnb is not seen as something Japanese people use. Almost every single article and TV story about Airbnb in Japan explains how the renters are unknown foreigners who simply pop up in quiet neighborhoods, don't know how to behave, and then cause all manner of minor annoyance and inconvenience to the Japanese who live there. In the long run, this perception is far more dangerous than any actual violations of the law made by their hosts. You see, Japan has a curious relationship with foreigners. On one hand, the country is extremely welcoming and accepting of foreign guests. In all major cities, signage on roads, public transport, major buildings, arenas, everywhere really, is in both Japanese and English, and occasionally Korean as well. And people are genuinely welcoming and helpful. When I first arrived in Japan, and before I spoke the language, I discovered that if I was ever lost or confused at a train station, all I had to do was stare up at that tangle of colored lines that is the Tokyo Metro map with a confused look on my face. And within a few minutes, someone would approach me and ask me in broken English, Are you lost? Where are you trying to go? Japan truly enjoys having foreign visitors, and Japan can make you feel welcome like nowhere else on the planet. And yet, Japan has a very strong sense of soto and uchi, of outside and inside. The nuances of what is soto and uchi, what is outside and what is inside in specific situations is complicated. And it's something that I still slip up on occasionally, even though I've lived here about half of my life. Basically, though, visitors should be welcomed, assisted, treated politely, and those visitors are expected to respect the social boundaries of acceptable behavior. Airbnb's guests are not Japanese, and it is improper and impolite that they are disrupting neighborhoods and inconveniencing everyday citizens. Now, some of this anger is directed passive-aggressively towards the foreign visitors themselves, neighbors quietly grumbling in Japanese that they assume the foreign guests cannot understand. But the focus of the anger really seems to be on the hosts themselves. The foreigners are annoying, but they don't know how they're supposed to behave. The hosts, however, are seen as people who are acting not only illegally, but selfishly and secretly to endanger their neighborhoods. Airbnb's success in the U.S. has largely been built on the foundation of vocal activism by their hosts and of quiet tolerance from their neighbors. In Japan, however, the hosts are silent and the neighbors are demanding that they be identified and stopped. Once identified, an Airbnb host in Japan has almost no fallback. There is no moral or legal ground for a host to stand on. Over 90% of them will not be able to claim that they are either legal or that they are providing any kind of social good. 
When the backlash comes, these hosts will abandon the Airbnb platform in droves. Now, before we talk about the possible ways in which this drama will play out over the next few years, I want to give the Airbnb team one piece of unsolicited advice. You need to crack open that war chest and take on this perception that Airbnb guests are a bunch of foreigners. You need to take on that perception head on. You should run a series of TV ads on Japanese TV. And yes, it's got to be television. YouTube won't cut it. Featuring, say, a famous and wholesome Japanese actress traveling around Japan and then warmly reminiscing about the friends she made and how she never felt alone. If you still have budget after that, run similar ads with an elderly Japanese guest. Most Japanese citizens don't even know what Airbnb is yet, and their opinions can still be changed. Television ads in Japan not only reach the bulk of the Japanese population, but they validate an idea or a company. It's worth noting, even Japanese startups, once they raise about $10 million, almost always begin television advertising. It's that important. As long as Airbnb is viewed as something that is bringing foreigners into quiet neighborhoods in Japan, Airbnb is going to struggle here. If, however, public perception shifts so that Airbnb is seen as something that Japanese guests and hosts use to connect with each other, then frankly, Airbnb's other troubles begin to shrink to an almost manageable size. Interestingly, Airbnb has recently produced a series of Japanese YouTube videos with exactly the right kind of heartwarming focus. Unfortunately, they seem to be targeted at recruiting more hosts, and half of the videos portray the guests as foreigners. Okay, so how will all this play out? To keep things simple, I'm going to assume that the big trends continue pretty much as they are now, that Airbnb does not run a successful charm campaign in Japan, and that they do not suddenly decide to play nice with the Japanese government by opening their books and taking steps to proactively remove illegal listings. First possible result? Airbnb could be pushed out by local competition. Room sharing itself is here to stay in Japan. There's no real social acceptance of it yet, but both the Prime Minister and the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare have accepted the idea in principle. And as we talked about before, Tokyo needs some form of room sharing to hit their inbound tourist targets leading up to and even beyond the 2020 Olympic Games. At the moment, Airbnb is the dominant force in the room-sharing market in Japan. Airbnb's Japan site seems to have at least five times the listings, and public website traffic shows that they have more than 15 times the traffic of their local competitors. But this could change. Not by normal market forces, mind you, but by government and social ones. Most of Airbnb's competition here is following the law and cooperating with the regulators. Ironically, one of the reasons Japanese firms are doing so badly is that they are following the law. Over the next year, the Mimpaku laws are going to be loosened in some ways. But that also means they're going to be clarified. The social pressure for a crackdown on Airbnb hosts is already building. And if some of the local competition steps up their marketing game overseas, 
or if a deep-pocketed Japanese corporation who understands overseas marketing decides to step up to the plate, Airbnb hosts would migrate in mass to this new legal and socially acceptable platform and away from the antisocial, dangerous Airbnb platform. This could also give the government the cover they need to go after Airbnb directly, since their actions would be seen as even more egregious when compared to the responsible room-sharing platforms who ensure their hosts obey the law and share data with the government. Under this scenario, we'll call it Scenario 1, Airbnb would be marginalized and perhaps even driven out of the Japanese market. That said, even in the worst case, Airbnb will likely be able to tap into their war chest and simply acquire whatever company ends up with a lion's share of the Japanese room-sharing market, particularly if they did so after the 2020 Olympics, when we will probably see a drop in inbound tourism. The second likely scenario is what I call the slow boil. In this case, Airbnb weathers the backlash by opening up just enough to let the immediate pressure off, giving in to occasional demands for data and setting up programs to better educate their hosts on the law. This is basically a stalling tactic, since the underlying social and legal problems will not actually be resolved. I think this is the likely result if domestic room-sharing competition cannot gain traction and no national room-sharing association is formed. The reason I think this is unlikely is that there's too much economic incentive to compete in the room-sharing market. And once the government can make the case that they are protecting both the Japanese companies and the Japanese citizens from the illegal behavior of a foreign company, uh, they'll act very quickly and the public will be behind them. Now I want to say again that as far as I understand it, Airbnb itself is not actually breaking any laws in Japan. Only the Airbnb hosts are. However, that legal distinction does not matter as much in Japan as it does in the rest of the world. So scenario two is not really stable over the long term. The third scenario is the one that Airbnb fears the most, but would actually be the best for them, at least in the long term. That is, the government passes laws making companies like Airbnb partially responsible for enforcing the law. They could do this by, for example, not letting obviously illegal hosts list on their platform, requiring documentation when hosts register, and requiring enforcement data to be turned over to the government. Airbnb most likely views this as a nightmare scenario, and they've spent a lot of money lobbying governments around the world to make sure it doesn't happen. It's easy to understand why. 90% of the Japan business would disappear overnight. But the next morning, things would start to look better. All of those image problems caused by their host's violation of the Mimpaku laws would start to evaporate. Their domestic competition is still weak with little overseas reach, and since the competition could no longer point to Airbnb as enabling illegal activities, these companies would have to compete fairly in the market, and they would lose. It wouldn't even be close. Scenario three is Airbnb losing 90% of their business in the short term, but then making it up over time. Now, astute listeners have noticed that in all three scenarios, Airbnb remains in Japan, at least through acquisition. In a sense, all roads lead to the top of the same mountain, 
but some of those roads are far longer and far more expensive than others. It's going to be interesting to see which path Airbnb chooses. And now, let's hear from our sponsor. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the Crew team, and they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot M-E slash four hyphen startups and get started. If you've got a story or insight about Airbnb in Japan or the so-called sharing economy in general, let's talk about it. Come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 063 and let's continue this conversation. And also, I want to let you know that if you have ideas or feedback about our new advertising format or the podcast subjects or general ideas for the show or anything about disrupting Japan in general, don't be shy. I really do want to hear from you. Podcasting is a much more personal and interactive medium than something like radio. And I honestly value all suggestions and often make changes based on the suggestions I get. And most of the listener comments I get have been fantastic. I love hearing from you. Also, be sure to check out Inroads at disruptingjapan.com inroads. It's a new subscription-based service of detailed case studies of some of the most successful Japan market entries. It's a rare look inside the minds of some of Japan's most successful CEOs. But it's so much more than that. So please give it a look. But most of all, Thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.